time when the fun begins. You may now have fun. Hi, I'm the explorer. Hi, I'm the diver. Hi, I'm the pilot. And welcome to Organised Fun, the board game podcast, where this week we have been playing Forbidden Island. But uh, we have got a special guest this week. We've got Tim from Board Game Hot Takes podcast. Welcome, Tim. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. And yeah, well, first of all, tell us tell us a bit about Board Game Hot Takes. Okay, so Board Game Hot Takes is uh, actually pretty similar to what you guys do most of the time, and that is that me and a couple friends get together, we play a game on Monday night, and then immediately record and just talk about that game right afterwards. So um, I was pretty excited when I when I heard your podcast because you guys do pretty much the same thing. But I really like how you also insert some of the actual gameplay conversation uh, into the you know kind of into the the whole uh, podcast episode. So I, I think what you guys are doing is really clever. But but we're kind of the same. Uh, we we basically started the podcast because last year at the you know end of March when we our my normal group of friends couldn't keep getting together to just do our weekly game night. Because of COVID, um, we started playing on online platforms like Tabletop Simulator and Board Game Arena. And um, after we did that for a couple months and were pretty consistent about it, the group of friends said, hey, why don't we start talking about it afterwards? And that's where the podcast came out of. And, and we've loved doing it. So I think we're going to keep going. Because you've got your one year anniversary coming up, haven't you? That's right. Yeah. Two, two weeks, uh, about a week and a half, actually, will be one year from our first recording. Are you going to do a special episode for it? You know, we haven't planned that much, to be honest. Um, I maybe we'll we'll see what happens. It's it's kind of funny because since even though the group of ki- uh, you know players that are getting together every week used to live nearby, now we've all moved in the last year. We've all kind of spread out, so none of us live in the same place anymore. And so um, you know it, this works that we're still doing this, but at the same time we all have our own lives going on, and it's hard to kind of you know kind of commit around other engagements for everyone to get together every week. So it's it's kind of hard for me to plan a couple episodes out because I never know who's going to be there. You know, Chris might have his son's little league team or Adam's fly. You know, he's a pilot, so wow. he might have to fly that night. So um, we'll see. We'll see how it comes. I'm hoping to do something kind of special. I've got a couple things in mind, but it may not fall right on the one year anniversary. It might fall a little little after. Fair enough. So obviously, you know, the <laughs> the main premise is gamers versus haters on this. Can I just say I'm not a hater? Yeah, you are. <laughs> Um, but obviously, because you have your own board game podcast, I, I don't need to ask whether you're a gamer or a hater. But um, so sort of what, what got you into board games in the first place? Yeah, well, first, I, it, de- it depends on the game, because sometimes I'm a hater. And uh, my my recent review of Marvel United didn't go over too well with a lot of people that were lovers of that game. So that got that got some backlash. That tweet got some. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah, it did. And I've had, I've had not only the tweet, but since on the review, I've had a couple a couple um, for the first time somebody that was angry about our podcast uh dropped me a note on facebook so apparently sometimes i'm a hater but uh yeah you're right generally i love games were they like you know funnily angry or genuinely genuinely angry at you no i think uh in this case it seemed genuine and he said um that he felt like he was talked down to uh on the podcast so you know not something i intended to do at all it was really just my feelings about the game and how it was presented and and it was really more of an expectations thing more than hate of the game itself anyway but from his perspective i was saying this feels like a a kid's game and so he was saying you're talking down to me and making me feel like a kid anyway um that was that was a surprise to me but uh you know always interesting did he did he have a personal stake in the game or was he just a a super fan (laughs) no just a fan i think just somebody who liked it himself and and you know didn't like our impressions of it i guess there you go because yeah i i sometimes feel quite guilty when i have negative things to 
say about games, <laughs> but then I guess that's the point of reviewing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, generally, I, I tend to be pretty positive. I, I will usually find fun in anything I'm doing, um, it, probably to a fault. But every once in a while, a game um, just really, you know, like makes me not have fun. And when that happens, then, you know, then I have a hard time holding back. And I, I don't intend to hold back. It's just that usually I'm not negative. But every once in a while, um, when I'm negative, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were going to, you did ask how, how I got into gaming. So I so I, I grew up with a family that board gaming was just kind of part of our, you know, family routine, um, and which was great. I have one brother and my parents and we're all pretty close. But, you know, we grew up playing the traditional, um, you know, Monopoly and Risk and Sari and, um, you know, just some normal card games and things like that. So I always found gaming a fun activity and even coming into, you know, my own as an adult, you know, when I would hang out with my friends, you know, after work or in college, we were playing Uno and, you know, video games and things like that. So gaming's just kind of always been a part of my life. But I think the thing that really got me into, you know, kind of the current, the, the amount of gaming I do now and how important it is to me and, and especially some of the hobby games, I got into Magic the Gathering for a long time. And so uh, my brother introduced me to that when I was in my, you know, late teens, maybe 19, 20. And I just got all in. And I, I was, that was like a lifestyle game for me. I pretty much just played Magic for almost 20 years. And I, I was playing tournaments and I was, um, you know, ranked and, you know, it was, that's all I really knew about the hobby too much. And, and that's really all I cared about. So I kind of really got exposed to modern board games, you know, kind of the, the the type of games that we're playing today. And then I talk about on our podcast, really just about maybe four or five years ago, uh, where I ran into a, a, another friend, you know, some friends that said, hey, let's do a game night. And he's got the shelf of, of hobby board games. And I was all in. I think the first game we played was Five Tribes and then Agricola. And I was I was blown away. So and just jumped right into the hobby after that. There you go. So, right. One last question before we talk about the game. So you the idea of the, the hot take is that you give your opinion right after the game. Have you ever regretted a hot take that you've given like an instant mm-hmm. opinion? I don't know. A couple of days later, have you thought, oh, actually, I, I feel differently about it now? Yeah, I would say I, I haven't regretted it because really we are just kind of given our immediate reactions. And I know that can change over time. But I definitely have changed my mind on some things. Um, it doesn't happen too often. I, I think I've played enough games at this point that, you know, my first gameplay experience and sometimes when we're reviewing, we're not always playing for the first time. Sometimes it's the 50th time or whatever. But, you know, most of the time I have a pretty good sense coming away from that game, whether I'm going to like it in the future or things that are going to be frustrations for me. Um, but there have been a few that um, that I played and, you know, maybe had a little bit more of a negative review on and then later thought about it and said, you know, I'd really like to go back to that game um, and, and enjoyed it even more afterwards. Uh, Beyond the Sun is a great example. Um, that's a game from last year that was published by Rear Grand Games. But that game, um, the first time I played it, I really didn't like it at all. I didn't want to play it at all. So we recorded the episode after our second play, and I liked it quite a bit more, but I still had a lot fairly negative to say about it. And then now after a few more plays, it's one of my favorite games from last year. So so yeah, so that's that's a good example of where, you know, playing a game more, you can get, um, you know, you can evolve on it. But one of the reasons I kind of like our format and, and being willing to kind of jump in and say that is that it, for a lot of people in our hobby, you have so many games that you're playing that if you don't like a game after a first play, you're not going to go back to it. So I, I still think it's helpful for people to hear, um, you know, when when something doesn't hit right, even on a first play, you, you can't expect people to have to play something three to five times before they actually enjoy it, because it's probably not going to happen. No, that's true. Sign up today for your local fun patrol. Right. As I said, then this week we have played Forbidden Island. Now, normally we get the guests to read the box, but because we 
we are in virtual land. Mark, that honour shall fall to you. Great, okay. Here we go. Forbidden Island. Dare to discover Forbidden Island. Join a team of fearless adventurers on a do-or-die mission to capture four sacred treasures from the ruins of this perilous paradise. Your team will have to work together and make some pulse-pounding manoeuvres as the island will sink beneath every step. Race to collect the treasures and make a triumphant escape before you are swallowed into the watery abyss. Uh, so it says age is 10 plus, 30 minutes gameplay, two to four players. And it's in a nice tin. <laughs> it's in a nice tin. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, basically you've got this island made up of tiles at various locations and these four treasures that you have to collect uh, before parts of the island sink and, and make that impossible. So we've played... Which versions have we played before? We've, we've played Forbidden Sky. Sky and, and de- desert. desert as well. But we haven't done Desert on the podcast. Right, okay. And Tim, you've played Sky and Desert, haven't you? That's right, yeah. Just once for Sky and I think twice for Desert. Yep. Cool. So in this one, we had the, the tiles metering their, meeting their watery abyss. Yeah. What was the Sky and the Desert one? It's, it's the same format, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, so I the don't... Desert, they get covered by sand. Right, that was And the it. Sky... You get, <laughs> you get blown off by the wind. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Struck by lightning. <laughs> right. Yes. Without fun, there can be no function. So I put, in terms of sort of gameplay, at first it's just a case of waiting for the right cards because you can't collect the treasure until you've got four of the matching cards that go with it. So for me, at least, it was just sort of wandering about because at the end of each turn you draw two treasure cards and it was just sort of waiting until between us we've got four uh, of the correct matching cards. Did you guys have a sort of strategy in mind at the start? No, it, it you know, it really, I agree with you. It seemed like it was pretty tactical. Um, you couldn't, you couldn't really push towards achieving the goals. All you could really do is make some decisions each turn to say, what's the most important for me to try to shore up or wh- where should I end my turn so that I'm, you know, close to giving somebody a, a treasure or close to whatever the destination is, you know, the, the place to pick up a treasure, etc. So no, it d- definitely didn't feel like there was a whole lot you could, you could plan for here. It was really just reacting. Well, it's quite misleading because when you first start, well, I was thinking, okay, we've got, there's three of us playing. You just got to get these four treasures. Easy. It's going to be really easy. But then suddenly towards the, it, there's a point where suddenly the tiles are just going and you're, you're like, oh, actually, are we going to do this? Like it's it very, um, the, the stakes it, it just escalates. suddenly, it, that's the word. It escalates. It quickly. escalates quite quickly towards the end. Yeah, I would say it was misleading right up until the end because I was pretty confident we were going to knock it out of the park and it was going to be a breeze, but we didn't. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I am going to edit in the moment where you jinxed us, Tim, so. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I think we got this, guys. Yeah, and as you said, it is a team effort. So we could, obviously, we could each see what cards we've got in our hands and we could trade. Well, I say trade. You can give cards to another player, but you can't take cards from another player. So there was a lot of sort of strategizing, wasn't there? Well, if I go here and be on the same space as you, then on your turn next, you can give me the card that I need and then I can go and do this. So you guys probably were really good at this because you live on an island, right? (laughs) Yep, and it's sinking all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that. The island's practically not sunk anymore. Well, I might as well. I mean, not that it matters immediately, but I'm going to focus on the fire because I've got two fire cards. I can give you the cup as well that I've got. So I could come over here. Bam. That was a productive turn. Oh, do you want to give me your cup? Yeah, I think I am going to do that. 
Have I actually got any helpful cards? Not amazingly. Between us, we could do. We've got four of the, we've got the rocky rock things. Thing. Um, halfway there. Yeah, I was going to say. Do you want me? I can go to the uh, copper gate, and then you can just give me give me your two cards and save the whispering garden. I'm going to come to you and give you the fire card, and yeah. then I'll shore up the helipad. Yeah. Because also, there's not many... How many tiles would you say there are? Um, it's not actually a big, like, area, is it? There are a picture of it. Because that's, that's also misleading, because you think, oh, okay, there's not... It's not a big an area, that big an area to go across. But actually, yeah. suddenly, when they start to disappear, that's when you're like, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's the, it's the sort of perfect size for that. Yeah, I also thought it was pretty interesting that the... You know, at first, it's... When, when you look at the game, you think, okay, i got to focus on shoring up everything. But there's actually quite a few tiles that you don't care too much about shoring up, or at least that's how... I was feeling, you know, because the tiles on the edge of the board that you don't have to get across, they don't seem like they matter. But I think they actually do matter. And the reason they matter is because once a tile completely goes away, when that card comes back up out of the, um, I don't know, the sinking deck or whatever that's called, then that that card gets removed from the game. So if you can even shore up the edge tiles that you don't care about, that you don't have to worry about getting across, you can potentially keep that card in the rotation of the deck and, and keep it a little bit safer for you. Yeah. And that's, it's almost like a free pass, isn't it? You know, when you have to draw the flood cards, if it's one of the dodgy ones that you don't care about, that's like an extra bit of breathing space that's not going to affect the game too much. Yeah. Nobody liked the iron gate anyway. Greetings. Welcome to the gold gate. Hang on, what's at risk? Well, there's tidal palace at the top. So we don't really care about the tidal palace anymore, right? No, that's not, right. not too important. Right. Ooh, both the red ones are at risk right now. Oh, oh, no. oh, I should have gone the other side because you've got to keep, yeah, it's all right. to keep the Cave of Embers afloat. I can uh, I can save it this turn. The Cave of Embers is fine, but I'm going to shore up the Watchtower and the Gold Gate because if we get yeah, trapped the path and can't open. reach oh, the heli... Cool. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so... Yeah. That makes sense. That could be difficult. It's all right. No one cares about the Whispering Garden anymore. Do your worst. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, team effort, but as we were each a different sort of character with a different special power. So I'm just going to ask, uh, Tim, you can start. You were the pilot. What was your special power and how useful did you find it? My pilot let me take one move action. So normally when you take a move action, you can just move adjacent orthogonally. Um, so, you know, north, south, east or west. My pilot let me use one of my move actions per turn to move to any space on, on to any tile on the board, essentially. Um, and I think it it was very useful. Uh, out of our three, I would say it was was easily the most useful, and I, I used it every every single turn. Oh, absolutely, because you can only do three actions a turn. So, mm -hmm. Mark, you and I were limited to how far can we get in three spaces. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just knowing that one of us could literally fly anywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It was really useful. Mark, what was the diver? Um, so basically, I could go through like water as a diver. Surprisingly enough. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> so if there wasn't a tile there if it had sunk i could actually get across that square of water that's right isn't it yeah 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 mark mark did you ever use that the whole game i don't remember using it no i didn't <laughs> but well because there wasn't a point it, it could have been towards the end if if the tile that i needed to get back to the end um had gone then i would have used it but yeah maybe only in like extreme circumstances it's the kind of power like, it's an emergency power yeah, that's only really <laughs> useful if you if you get screwed and need it in an emergency 
Yeah, and I think the diver actually has one more power that would also be in an emergency, and that's if he if your tile goes down and there's no adjacent tiles, most players would actually die and then you'd lose the game. But with the diver, you have the opportunity to still get to another space. So that that's one more thing that could come up but didn't in this game. No, that's definitely true. And as the explorer, um, rather than just being limited to north, south, east, and west, I could move diagonally as well, and I could store up diagonally, which I thought was pretty useful because it meant I could be I could do things from further away slightly. Um, I'm just looking at the other roles in the set yeah. so because I was thinking depending on how many players you've got and how many different roles were in it could you have like a team combination that actually makes it a lot easier or that actually makes it a lot harder so the other roles we had the engineer that could shore up two tiles instead of one on a go which would be pretty, ha pretty handy I reckon um, the messenger can give Give treasure cards to a player anywhere on the island without having to be on the same space as them. That's pretty good. And the navigator can move another player up to two tiles for one action. So, I don't know, they're all pretty useful, aren't they? Because, you know, sometimes we've had it before on some games where some special abilities are either only useful in very specific sort of events or just aren't of an equal, like an equal weighting to some of the others. Yeah, I think, you know, you asked the question if, if you could get a combination of powers here that could make the game a lot easier. I, I'm not, I don't think so um, from what I'm here, you know, from your description of those other powers, but I could see getting a, a group of powers that didn't, you know, like I, I do think the pilot was probably one of the more useful powers. So if you didn't have that in the group um, and maybe you didn't have the engineer, the other three powers I think would be a little bit less useful. Uh, I, I think you'd have to take more actions to get around. So I could see, you know, not having either of those, maybe the game being a little harder, but it's hard to say after one play. That, that's my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> that's your hot take. You are just hot taking all over the place. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I'm going to go to La Tidal Palace. Well, could you go to the Coral Palace? The Coral Palace. Oh, no. One, two. I'm just thinking Whispering Garden is in the No, just but that's cool. Case, but I can but... shore up diagonally. So I'll, oh, move, yeah, fine. I'll move diagonally right. to the Coral Palace. Yeah. Then I'll get the treasure. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'll diagonally shore up the Whispering Perfect. Garden, just just in case. You know, one thing one thing we could do, I could use my helicopter to fly over. I think I can use that to immediately go to your space. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. What Is that I right? Just... And then you could give me the two cards. And then I have uh, four things I need now. So I'm going to pilot over to Temple of the Sun and capture treasure. Yes! Got a, I've got an idea. Yeah. You're probably not going to like it. I don't think I will. Would it work? Could you combine, say, these three Forbidden Island games and make a super board? <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is I think the story, <clears throat> there is supposed to be a story where when you leave the island that that's where essentially Forbidden Desert starts, is that your your plane has crashed, your your helicopter has crashed. And in that one, you're trying to collect the pieces to get your you know ship back together. And in the Forbidden Sky, you've flown from that desert and landed on this platform. And yeah, you, you, you theoretically could. You just wouldn't be playing them all at the same time. So you could do it, couldn't you? But I was just thinking about putting it all up and then you've got however many treasures or eight, like 12 treasures to get in one on this huge board. But you'd have to do it as like level 
levels. So once, like, uh, if no, you no, successfully yeah, did yeah, the island, mean, then you one, fly two, to the three. desert. Yeah. And I, do I, yeah, my initial thought was just mashing it all up <laughs> <laughs> into one massive board. But also think how much harder that is because getting through one game, you know, it probably 50% odds of, of beating a co-op game like this. And so it's going to, you know, escalate if you have to, if the actual goal is to beat all three, you'd have to get 50% to beat one and then, you know, 50% of that win to get the next one. So that, that would be a quite a challenging uh, attempt. Could you make a legacy game out of it? Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, you could. <laughs> Just pull Rob Davio in and uh, I think it'd be set. Yeah. <laughs> Compliance will be reported. Right, okay, so when you draw cards, it's not just treasure cards, is it? There are some helpful cards like sandbags that let you shore up an extra tile, uh, helicopter, but basically gives us Tim's bonus power for, for a go. Um, you know, they were all right, weren't they? They, were, I think there was enough of them to sort of be helpful when you needed them. Not really much. You weren't like much. sort of waiting for them like, oh, I need a card. You were like, oh, okay, it's there, I'll use it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I would say, it, I would say the only probably disappointment there is that I, at least I only saw the two. I assume there were only two different abilities in the deck, you know, the helicopter and the sandbags. And I think with the other games in the series, they did add some more variety there, which do, I think makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, because I think in Forbidden Sky, there's loads, you know, there's like goggles and the Faraday cage and the this and the jetpack and the all sorts, isn't there? Yeah. So that keeps it a little bit more fun to be like, hey, I got this this random thing this time. Let me see what I can do with it uh, when you're still when you're just seeing the same two over uh, repeatedly. They're just not as interesting, although they're quite useful. No, that's true. I'm just flicking through the deck. Sandbags, sandbags. Helicopter, helicopter. No, you're right. It is just sandbags and helicopters. I was tricked. I thought there was more, but I must have been thinking of the other games. <laughs> no, I think the helicopter was quite an interesting one because it was, it actually was required as an end game condition. So if you used it for its power, you were potentially giving up having it in your hand at the end of the game um, and not being able to complete the game or, you know, potentially losing because you didn't have it in your hand. So that was a kind of a, a fun decision point to say, do I want to spend this now, which could be quite useful and prevent an important tile from sinking because I can get somebody there faster or save it just to make sure we have it at the end. So at least that added a little tension there. That is true. But also, is it them acknowledging that the pilot's power is the best? So that if you weren't <laughs> playing with the pilot you at least still have the opportunity to experience some pilot action. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, now the card did did one thing also that the pilot couldn't do, and that's that you could actually, from what I understand, is you could take one person from any one tile on the board and move them to any other tile. So you, you didn't, it didn't even have to be with you and they didn't have to be, um, you know, it, it wasn't you yourself that had to move. You could basically move anybody. So it's kind of a get out of jail card, uh, you know, to, to kind of use for whatever special situation you needed. Yeah. Uh, we have so the only other, I mean, you know, the other main element is this idea that the island sinks and hidden in the hidden in deck are these Waters Rise cards, which um, basically you have to shuffle all the territories that have already sunk once back into the deck so that they can come back again. And obviously, if they're already sunk and their card comes up, then they vanish completely. The island gets smaller, but as Tim, as you said before, the deck gets smaller as well. So the cards that are left have got more chance of cycling around and it all just gets a little bit harder. Now, one thing, obviously, because we played online, it's sort of reduced the excitement of, because if you're all sat around the table and someone draws a Waters Rise card, you know, there's like a, oh my God, why did you do that? 
that, you idiot sort of thing. Whereas on the computer, it just sort of happened and we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the big challenges with playing online and, you know, having done this over the last year, especially a platform like Board Game Arena, where you don't, some of the online platforms are more physics engines and you can see people picking up a card and you can see people moving their, their you know, stuff around the board. And you can still get some of that excitement in that situation. With this type of platform, it's definitely a, a you know, a drawback and that you don't really get to watch the other people interacting with the pieces and, and board. So it does feel like you're kind of just waiting till your turn comes back around and seeing what happened. Um, and and that, that definitely, you know, impacts that excitement of drawing off the deck. Yeah. And definitely some of the sort of just the computer processes, like the drawing of the treasure cards, it just happened so quickly that it was like, oh, you know, what did I get? What just happened there? <laughs> right. In fact, even the final turn where we, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but, you know, we, we lost because um, some of the island cards got drawn and then it reshuffled the deck and drew some more and it basically just like it popped up a screen saying you lost and we didn't none of us it took us a minute to even understand what happened there because we didn't get to watch those cards draw up one at a time and get the excitement of saying like "Ooh, that came up once now we got to reshuffle oh no you know hope it doesn't come up again i didn't even realize it was gonna happen you know so that was that was unfortunate and there were a couple of turns when the bits of the island were sinking that it just happened too fat and i was like which tile went what you know Mm. like i know we lost something because it made a sound but i didn't notice which one it was so yeah i think it's it's useful isn't it because obviously without the the online version you know we never would have been able to play with each other but it certainly does have those as you say the the drawbacks of not being able to interact fully with the people that you're playing with let's see what oh sorry team oh no so it's quite interesting. So if I understand right, a rising water card could come up this time, reshuffle all these things on the deck. Yeah. The Coral Battle Palace could collapse. So we, we could lose the, the game yeah, this turn. Although, goes. well, because you're the pilot. So actually, the land bridge breaking wouldn't affect you. I've got a helicopter card, so it wouldn't affect me. Okay. And Mark's the diver, and so he can swim he's across. He's the diver, so he's okay. So right. we're okay as long as I don't lose my helicopter card. <laughs> The only other thing that I've sort of made a note on, and we said that, like, Mark, you are talking about it escalating quickly. There's a lot of things to focus on. So you can't let the helipad sink, because if that sinks, you've got no way off the island. But you can't let the temple sink, because if they sink, you can't collect the treasure. But you also got to make sure that you don't get stranded in the water with no way to get back to land, because then you'll die. And to top it off, there's a limit to how many times the water can rise. I think eight or nine maybe and once you've hit that limit then the game is deemed unsavable so whilst at the start it seemed like you said quite easy oh we just got to collect four bits of treasure pa simple but there's actually way more things that you've got to keep an eye on yeah but we did manage to keep an eye on everything we did up until the very last i think our strategy was more whoever's nearest to well we kept an eye on the on the tiles that we needed to make sure they didn't sink yep uh so whoever was nearest was was unsinking those, shoring those up, uh, and then yeah, keep an eye on those those cards as well, and swapping the cards. Um, I think we did it in the best way we could. Yeah. Otherwise, what do you have somebody that's like right? Your role is to make is to go around and make sure that these but things then, aren't. But then you don't know what cards you're going to get. No. So. But that would depend on like if we had the engineer, for example, then it would be easy to say right, engineer, you you just focus on shoring up because they could mm. shore up two at a time, sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Can I ask you a question? When when this uh, when you set up 
up this game, do you seed the uh, Waters Rising cards in the deck in a specific location? Like, you know, so so many in the top half and so many in the bottom half or that type of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think you split the deck into... Let me just... Da, 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 da. I think you split the deck into like three or four and you make sure that each section has a Waters Rise in. But I will just check. Yeah, if so, then that would be just like the way that um, Pandemic handles the threat escalation there. Because they're both Matt Leacock games, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I think that that's where, that's why Matt Leacock has been so successful with this game is because he's found a formula that just essentially gives you hope to a certain point in the game, but then escalates the tension. And, you know, if you you just randomly shuffled those water rising cards into the deck there's going to be some games that you would just lose at the beginning and other games where there'd never be any tension because the cards are all at the bottom of the deck and you're able to do everything you need to so i think that's important that they did that um although having just read the rule i don't think you do i think it's just shuffle the whole deck together yeah thoroughly shuffle the treasure deck oh really okay yeah so then that kind of goes into one of my concerns with uh with a game like this a, a cooperative game where you're playing against the decks and that is that we don't really know the strength of the opponent that we're playing against. Um, sometimes the game is going to be easier than other times. And so it, it, if we had won it, it probably would have felt, oh, that was too easy. You know, we didn't have a challenge there, even though we didn't. Um, or if we lost it much earlier, it would have felt completely impossible. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's one of the interesting things about a co-op game that you're playing against random elements. You, you, don't, you don't really know whether what you're doing had that much impact on the success or failure of the game versus just you know how did how did the luck go and i think that's that's one of the challenges with a game like this that is but surely surely if we win then it's all down to our skill and if we lose mm. then the damn game cheated us <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's one way to look at it yeah <laughs> <laughs> times five equals progress Okay, any any other comments before we give it some scores? Anything else that stood out or that, that you liked or that you didn't like? I think we covered it pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know. I would just say add one more thing in that I think, I haven't played now all three games in the series. My, my preference has definitely been as they added more, um, a little bit more complexity. I think Forbidden Desert had just a little bit more complexity to it and then Forbidden Sky even more than that. And and that's just the, the type of player I am that I just prefer more things to, you know, more challenges to work around and more to think about um but but having played this for the first time i i think that probably out of the three this would be you know my least favorite of the series but i guess i know it's it's annoying that we've played them in the wrong order <laughs> like in real life and on the podcast but you can definitely see a progression can't you yeah it started this was it in its simplest form and then as you said it gets a bit more complicated and then yeah that's right i, I assume that this i think that matt leacock created pandemic prior to this one and so my feeling is that this was kind of his attempt to make a um a family weight pandemic uh and then from there you know it was popular and so he, he just kind of added on to it gave fans of that of that game something a little bit more in the next one that that's my that's my feeling about it yeah are there any others planned i don't that you know of? no mm-hmm. i do not know that'll be something to look up for next time <laughs> your government prescribes one session of fun per day okay well shall we frag okay so first up is fun mark a score out of five 
five fun. Uh, well, I can't remember what I would have said for the other one that we played. Right. Way back. Well, let's let's um, not let's not worry ourselves with the other no, one. No, I'm just, just wondering. Based so. on, oh, it's worth saying. But I would like. Obviously, I know we only played it online. But let's let's try and imagine that if we were if if we were playing yeah. it for reals. Um, fun. Well, yeah. I'm gonna give it a four. I enjoyed it. It's because it's just you know I don't like sort of longer games. That is true. <laughs> it's fairly simple, easy to uh, understand, and to just quickly get into. And I mean, you can set this up quite quickly and um, and play you know half an hour game. Uh, so yeah, it was fun. Cool. Tim? Yeah, so I think I'm the opposite of Mark in that I tend to lean towards, you know, my my ideal length of a game to feel like I've really had a chance to make some progression and make some decisions that had an impact tends to be towards a game that's 60 minutes to maybe two hours. Um, and so, you know, this is probably less about the game itself, but not being a target audience. And if you listen to our podcast, you'll kind of get a good sense for the types of games that we're typically playing. So, you know, from just the, the game itself, I would say I'd rate this as a three for fun. Playing with you guys for the first time, though, easily a four or five. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, because like just going off on a tangent, but looking, scrolling down your episode list, I was like, some of these are like hefty games. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, is we actually don't even play some of the heavier games that we would on the podcast because Chris, you know, if, if you've listened to it at all, we joke with him a lot, but he is, he's heavy in analysis paralysis. He will take a long time thinking through his turn. So there are definitely some games that we edit out. At least we don't play when he's able to make it to the podcast. Um, that are some of my favorite games. <laughs> selective selective choices yeah <laughs> exactly yeah because otherwise we know it'll be and sometimes it does end up a four or five hour game which should be a two hour game so um yeah the for sure we we definitely lean towards heavier stuff nice um yeah i'm gonna go for four i think just for quite similar reasons that you said marks just you know it's quick it's easy it's 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 light-hearted it's something it's yeah it doesn't take a lot of thought in the sense that it's not emotionally draining to play if that makes sense yeah it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends what you're in the mood for, isn't it? Yeah, maybe you're in the mood for a longer game at some sometimes. Yeah, I'm probably not. All that very much. Really? <laughs> but this is the kind of thing. Oh, do you want to play this? Yeah, easy to set up and go. Whereas, okay, Arkham Horror or something, or, <laughs> which will, you're like, let's play this. Great. I'll see you in an hour once you've set it all up. And then by the time you know it's ready, I'm like, well, I don't feel like playing it now. <laughs> so no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, replayability, replay value. Uh, Tim, you can start us off on this one i would say for me it's probably fairly low here um you know i would probably even give it a two for replayability because i think that once you we have a harsh person in our midst really (laughs) (laughs) well you got to scale for one to from one to five for a reason right um (laughs) i think because if you if i if i feel like if i played this game a couple times it becomes less of a game you know there's probably a couple things we could have done better uh you know in this game or, or you know learn to do better as we understand the mechanisms but i feel like there's not a whole lot to explore so the replayability really comes down to just going through the activity again and um for me that's just not what i typically go to games for i'm usually there to try to you know explore a new strategy and figure things out and they're just it's there's not a lot of depth there to go back to it the re, it does make it very replayable that as you said it's very um quick to set up and short to play so you know for something that's going to fill that gap i think it's very easy and very accessible to get to but for me I would put it at a two. Cool. I'm going to go for a three. I think I agree with what you say, Tim. That like, so it has replayability in the sense that 
there are six different characters so you can experiment with different combinations of teams or whatever and because the island is dealt out randomly so the temples are going to be in different places and the island floods in a random order so it, you know it's it's going to be slightly different each time you play it but yeah absolutely there's still no big difference in what you actually do it's still the same process shore up stuff as much as you can until you get the right cards you need and then just go for it so i think that sort of limits it in that way mark yeah i'm gonna say three um yeah i can see like you know playing this a couple of times and then you're like mm, yeah what what's new after that what's yeah what else can you get out of it so yeah um yeah three cool 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 um aesthetic the look of the game i will start with this one i quite like it i'm gonna go for a four i think the pictures are pretty it's all very stylistically done um it, it comes in a nice tin as mark said and um, you know it's just it looks it's got that sort of mysterious forbidden island feel about it you know it's all it just you know it looks good there's nothing dodgy or cheap looking about it what do you reckon yeah mark? no yeah i'm gonna say yeah i'll say four as well um it does what it it needs to do it's a nice font <laughs> mark mark um, loves fonts i don't know why well, his... yeah, it's a good font isn't it? um yeah it's and the artwork's all right it's yeah nothing offensive good <laughs> Tim, what do you reckon? Yeah, I would I would go right with you guys on a four. I think it's nice they, they put nice, you know, uh, you know, lost island artwork on each of the tiles. They're unique. You know, they could have made this an abstract game where everything was just words on it and they actually put nice art on it. Um, the nice chunky um, you know, the the treasures that you can pick up, you know, that's a great component. And I think, you know, when I'm weighing the production or, you know, the the, the quality of how something looks and feels, you weigh that against the price a little bit. And I think for the price, you really can't do much better. So I, I think this is definitely a solid four. What is the price? Have you looked up the price? Have you done some research? They're not expensive. I've seen them before, and I think this is like a twenty dollars game. Uh, you know, may, you know, maybe the MSRP is thirty, but I think you can pick it up for twenty to twenty-five dollars. Sorry, I should say that's tw that's US dollars. I don't know how that translates for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how much? Yeah. What, how much would it be here? Um, twenty dollars would be probably about fifteen quid here, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Anyway, um, right, Mark, it's over to you to start us off for gameplay. Um, I'm gonna say. Um, I, as I say, I couldn't remember I was playing this, uh, the other one, however long ago it was. Yeah. So I was, in a way, I was coming into this new, <laughs> but I picked it up really quickly. We're not... we always coming into this new with you, even when we've played an expansion for a game that we played like less than a month. We, we consider it coming <laughs> in new. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, the, the audience is, what is it, 10 plus? So it's not going to be too complicated. Um, yeah, easy to pick up. So, and I think if we played this again in a month or so or something like that, which we won't, uh, <laughs> because right. it doesn't come around on the spreadsheet. Spreadsheet enough, won't allow it. Um, I'd be like, yeah, I know how to do that. Go straight into it. Set it up. Easy. Yeah. yeah. So four. Cool. Tim. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and rank this one on gameplay based on you know who the audience really is here. And um, if if I was ranking it for myself, I'd probably say a three. But I will say four. Um, I played this with kids nine, ten years old, and it's perfect for them. It's it's a perfect gameplay experience. I think uh, Matt Leacock did a great job of of creating something that was very accessible, make it a, a fun experience that you can do together. And it does add tension. It, it does give you that experience of saying like, "Ooh, I you know, am I going to make it?" Am I not? You know, it, it feels like it hits that pretty well most of the time. So I, I'll give, I'll be, I'll be generous here and give it a four. <laughs> Do you think? Because obviously this is 
pandemic light, isn't it? Do you think people with kids might use it as a gateway game into into the world of pandemic? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, and maybe not even just for kids. Uh, you know, I think that that's, that's an easy assumption to make. But I think a lot of people that haven't been exposed to hobby board games, this is even for adults who are kind of new into the hobby. I think it's a good gateway. So, you know, kids and, and other adults. Um, one of the other nice things about a co-op game like this to introduce people to the hobby is you can kind of help them through it. You know, if you try to introduce someone to a strategy game that hasn't played a lot of games and they're having to make decisions on their own oftentimes it can just lead to bad feelings they feel lost they feel like they got beat down you know by other opponents who knew the game better so co-op gives you a chance to you know hold people's hands and help them through the experience and that can it can be a positive thing no that's cool well i'm gonna i'm gonna run with the general consensus and go with a four as well i mean it was nice and simple to pick up nice and easy you know i mean there was we didn't have to check the rules on anything we didn't have to question anything of like what what's going on here sort of thing um i don't know if anything maybe a bit too simple a bit too you know it's basically just move and shore up until something else needs to happen but yeah um you know no major issues right time for some maths uh that gives it a frag of 14.2 there you go that's that's yeah, respectable yeah. 14.2 out of 20 that works there you go how, how does that uh, compare you know, generally for you guys, is that uh, is that on the kind of average or on the low side? Um, most of them. I mean, so like the average, we tend to go from between like 16 to uh, like 12. And they're mostly in that sort of range, aren't they? Um, yeah, it's it's rare that we have a yeah, sort of smash. Yeah, nothing really low. No, nothing goes too low. And there's a few, like Legendary always scores well. We, we enjoy a bit of Legendary. Um, yeah. So yeah. Just, you know, comfortably average. There you go. <laughs> um, so, Mark, over to you for the question of the day. Is this game a win or not? I'm going to say it's a win. Yay! There you go. That makes our final scores for now 68 to the gamers and 28 to the haters. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, Tim, if you were asked the same question, would it be a win or a lose for you? I would say it's a lose. Uh, and again, oh, mainly, oh. <laughs> mainly because I'm not the right audience for it. This isn't a game that I would ever, you know, ask for. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, 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 could, I couldn't lie and uh, and say it's a win for me. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you had to join us at the kids table, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Had a great time, you guys. Play to win. Right. Well, before we say goodbye, by uh tim do you want to just give us give us a plug for the board game hot takes where can people find you on the socials and such yeah absolutely you can uh, find us on pretty much any podcast platform to search for board game hot takes board game is two separate words by the way uh you can also find us on twitter that's where i'm most active in most of our social media presences that's at bg underscore hot takes and then you can also find us on facebook at board game hot takes um not too active there but we do keep you updated on on upcoming episodes and when things have released. But yeah, if you're on Twitter, follow us. I love uh, chatting with people there, interacting, answering questions, talking about the games we've been playing. So would love to uh, hear from, from anybody listening. Awesome. Right. Well, I've been Phil. I've been Mark. I've been Tim. And remember, non-relinquim in Arca, <laughs> a percolate. I remembered it this time. I forgot it last time. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Organized Fun Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Fun Organized. Thanks for listening and bye Ludophiles. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. Now is the time when we stop. Good night.